Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. And we're in the extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Hamish Bidwell. The Rugby World Cup is underway and has already chucked up one or two surprises. Unfortunately, it's been a quiet week for the All Blacks after their opening win over South Africa, and they don't play again until Wednesday night against Canada. We'll catch up also with the new owners of the Warriors, who are promising all sorts of wonderful things, plus the high priest of White Ferns cricket is back after a two-year absence. Patrick Bebbin hops on his bike to have a chat after a frustrating year on the roads of Europe. Uh, but first, the rugby. I'm joined in the Wellington studio by Wellington Pride hooker, Alice Soper, our author and age group rugby coach William Maloney, and our RNZ rugby correspondent Joe Porter, who's in Japan. Um, before we start, I've been asked to editorialise a little, so what I'm going to say is, first of all, that uh, the tournament's kind of passing me by, the Rugby World Cup. That's partly by design, admittedly. I haven't stumped up for the Spark package, and I won't do. Uh, mostly that's because I've found their whole approach to rights holding distasteful, but also there's my own basic lack of interest. Um, the scheduling hasn't helped. We had months to prepare for what amounted to a final between South Africa and New Zealand, and now we're stuck with weeks of pretty mediocre fare. Good on Uruguay for their win, but I can't help think of the recent 10-team Cricket World Cup. Even at 10, a couple of those teams made up the numbers, and this Rugby World Cup features plenty of sides who I wouldn't watch if my life depended on it. Let those with a vested interest tell you how great everything is, but for me, I could hardly care less. Now on that positive note... (laughs) Alice, how's your rugby world cup going? Oh, wow, doom and gloom. Um, I have to say, that absolutely gutted that the first match was on a Saturday night when we had an 11.35 kick-off on uh, Sunday morning and we're under strict orders not to stay up to watch the whole thing. So uh, watched, managed to watch the first half where thankfully most of the fun was uh, and then had to kind of nap off uh, during the, the second half. But you're right, it's a weird one to have the big, the big show up front, but what a contest that was, that first half, that first 20 minutes. Absolutely incredible. Yep, no, it wasn't bad. But then, apart from intensity, I'm not sure the game offered a lot of quality. And mm. now we've got such a long time, as I say, to wait for anything decent again. Um, William, you're a bit of a rugby purist. A rugby nerd. Yeah. yeah. What have you made of things? I had, I loved the, the South Africa All Black game. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was... Uh, I think the All Blacks were tactically really, really good. And certainly you and I, Hamish, have discussed how often that they're tactically really bad, but I thought they were brilliant. And some of the other games, you know, it's just the pool stages. You've just got to get out without injuries. You've got to get out without suspensions and find out who you play in the quarterfinals. All tournaments are like this. Um, Joe, I'm not accusing you of anything, but what, what have you been up to? What, what are you doing to fill your time um, between games for the All Blacks as the man on the ground? Well, as you know, Hamish, Radio New Zealand, the farm roosted and the colour surrounding the tournament and the actual All Blacks analysis. So that suits me quite well at the moment because there isn't a lot to talk about when it comes to the All Blacks. So I've been out and about interviewing locals and fans and trying to just get a feel 
and paint a picture, I guess, of what it's like being over here in Japan. Look, it's a wonderful country. The All Blacks are traveling to some wonderful regions. The Japanese fans and hospitality has been, you know, second to none. So I've just been painting a picture, I guess, of what it's like to be here and, and experience what is Japan. You're right, it's an absolute lull now until the quarterfinals. And even then, you know, if the All Blacks play Scotland or Japan, it's still a lull again. So, look, you're right, they played the final in the first game, which is a bit of a shame. We'll probably see a repeat of that in the actual final. Look, I don't... I don't worried about what they've seen from any other team so far to be perfectly honest England weren't great against the USA they hardly looked like a real massive threat I wouldn't have thought Australia obviously not going so well I don't think anyone's really put their hand up even Ireland over Scotland wasn't that good so I think look the All Blacks will be happy with where they're at but you're right it's a lull but for me luckily Aaron did her into the colour and into the people and uh, talking about what it's like over here so I still get to work and if you are a rugby nerd, it can be a bit exciting. It can be a bit exciting to watch those um, those matchups that you don't get to see. So when you do get to see random teams play each other, that is just never going to happen. You know, the fact that England is forced to play Tonga that's an exciting game to watch. I I also enjoy Samoa play Russia because that's completely bizarre. And let's be honest, some of the tactics on display where we were kicking it, both are just kicking it back and forth with no real thought behind where that ball's going. It was still fun to watch though. So clearly you've been watching. I was going to ask about this. William's got a, a conflict of interest, so he can't talk about it. Joe, mm. you're away. I don't have Spark Package because I'm a grump. So you've obviously been watching. How good is your Spark going? Um, so I think Joe knows a bit about some of the struggles that I had on the uh, Friday night. The opener was an absolute shocker. I had it drop nine times for me. And it's your fault, first. though, eh? It's not their fault. It's, the, it's, the message <laughs> it's my getting. TV, apparently. Apparently I have a two-flash TV. We came oh, home and, and, and you know, managed it. That was the first purchase my partner got for his new job was uh, the twenty you know the 2019 Samsung. That's the problem, apparently. can't be too flash so if we'd had an older one we probably would have done better but uh yeah no they seem to have sorted it out now we'll see we were getting a lot of the you know say audio's going but it's all blurry you can't see a thing going on Hmm. do you feel it's worth it do you feel like they've been um they've sold you something that they can't deliver do you feel that their response to people's complaints has been adequate I mean, it was pretty frustrating, the lack of on the Friday night, because, yeah, like I said, nine drops, one game. Um, was on Twitter, because I'm one of those annoying people, and was saying, look, this is what I'm seeing, this is what's going on. Getting a lot of, oh, restart the system. Well, I'm doing that, mate, but when you're watching it live, I could be in a restart when something's happening and, and miss out on the good stuff. And I knew that it was going to be a mess uh, for the uh, the big match, the next game, given that that was Japan-Russia that we were having those problems on. Uh, so, thankfully, where we were in the hotel, for some reason Spark Sport was on the um, TV at the Waipuna. I don't know what the reason for that was. Um, so we weren't watching it on Duke, but we were watching guys, no, sorry, Spark Sport, <laughs> if only Sky. Um, then, you know, it was. It seemed to be all right. We still had like a bit of the buffering issues. I had someone make reference to it looking kind of like uh, Jonah Lobby Rugby 96 um, at parts because the buffering was so slow and pixelated. But yeah, not ideal. Seems to have bounced back now. Do I think it's worth money? Maybe not. But then Sky Sports pretty expensive too. Um, you know, my partner had to pay twenty bucks to watch me play the other day just for a match pass. Wow. Well, I hope it was worth it. Oh, uh, he thought so. <laughs> <laughs> um, William, in terms of the actual rugby, who have you liked? What's been good? I thought the uh, Japanese game, the, the Fiji Australia game, was really, really mm. interesting. Uh, and um, it was fun to watch in the French and the Argentinians. All that that whole opening Saturday, I think, set the tone really well for the World Cup. And these midweek games have been a bit of a letdown, mm. but the, they just they just weren't as good a matchups in terms of they just weren't as good a contests. 
I didn't watch the Fiji game clearly against Uruguay, but I was really disappointed. I thought there was a terribly sad inevitability about them losing, aside from the short turnaround, which smaller sides can't absorb the way an All Blacks team could. I just think it just spoke again of the decline of the Pacific Nations, which we've um, we've talked about on this show a lot, and which people wring their hands about but don't do much about. And I just Fiji should be giving the teams like Uruguay a you know a fifty point tail, and good on Uruguay. It's the it's the highlight of their rugby history, and I applaud them. But for the World Games, a miserable, dismal, depressing you know, almost vomit-inducing result because it just speaks to the neglect, the willful neglect, the shameful neglect of the, of world rugby to these Pacific nations to allow a team who should be vying for a quarterfinals to be done by minnow. I think all of us feel that Fiji is everybody's second team, right? They're the, they're the West Indies of cricket, 1970s, 80s. We love Fiji. We love the way they play the rugby. And they, their, talent are, their, their talent is playing for other countries, but that's to a certain extent, not really rugby's issue as much as it is an economic issue. Those, those young men that leave the islands and go to Fiji and go into the academies in France at 15 and 16 or 15, 16, 17 and then go on to play long careers, they support large numbers of people and their family and their, and their wider communities. And so, you know, the, um, yeah, but they do really that a- because the pathway to, to success in their own nation, their home nation, is there isn't one. It's a dead end. Well, it not. is a good, but that's 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 more. It's also just the the. Well, the I don't the begrudge those guys doing that. That's they're entitled to do that. It's the smart play, isn't it? It's the same. It is the smart play. It's the rational play, and it's the same play that many New Zealanders make when they go overseas to play rugby, or whether they just go overseas to to work and come back. You know, it's just a, it's we. What they don't do is then what they're not then allowed to do is come back and play for the national team. So I think there was a number of free GN players who play for French clubs, and the club said maybe you need to choose your club over your country and that's what they need to stop i would have thought what you know um in terms of uh you should everybody should be allowed to play for their country in the world cup rather than worrying about you know that we're always everyone's got always lose talent um alice if i can bring you in here on refereeing i know you probably <laughs> like to weigh in on that but refereeing's been a bit of an issue I, i'm not a big referee enthusiast and certainly world rugby don't appear to be either i don't know whether high-fiving players is good, bad or indifferent, but what do you make of the refereeing and, and World Rugby's response to it? Well, I thought it was really interesting that they chose to come out against the referees. That seemed like an interesting tactic to take. Uh, I felt like, you know, it, it, it was really frustrating that the first card of the tournament was handed out to a second-tier nation when we were watching the um, Samoans play the Russians. It's like, yep, that's completely by the book, should have been a yellow, no qualms with that, but we didn't go into the pocket all the rest of the weekend and there was a lot of dodgy shots going on. There needs to be some consistency around that high tackle. It's ridiculous. We're getting briefing on it, you know, at our grade um, and it's still pretty inconsistent around what is and isn't uh, going to be citable and the fact that, you know, that Fiji-Australian game, my heart was absolutely broken because Fiji were right in there and the man that was making all the uh, yards for them, their number seven, taken out off the field, out the tournament, dodgy tackle, and uh, is complaining about, you know, not in the spirit of rugby afterwards, get out of town. You know, you're watching it, and it seems to me that some of the referees are a bit nervous and making calls against those big nations. And so what does that tell me? What's going on behind the scenes? How, how are these guys, have they got too much power going on there and influence over those referees? That's what it feels like. I would also like just to mention for a second, scrums. Oh, my gosh. None of these referees seem to understand the scrums. No, Gus says he let New Zealand away with murder in that box game. They, they were getting absolutely pummeled in every scrum. They, they, you don't penalise the dominant scrum. The South Africans were Joe Moody with his elbow on the ground, his yeah. hand on the ground. And Tonga Farsi's just going back at such a rate of knots when he comes on and yet 
Moody, penalty to the All Blacks. Moody's, like, been doing it, Moody's been doing it since the Crusaders yeah. semi-final. It was an absolute joke in the Crusaders semi-final. Moody and Franks, absolute joke. Complete. When you're when you're driving in a scrum, your first step forward has to be off your inside foot. You're angling in. He takes the absolute mickey out of it and, and, and angles every time, drops. It's ridiculous. And then when they do give a penalty, they give it the other way. Joe, can I just bring you in, mate? Jingoism is one of my favourite things about Olympic Games, World Cups. You know, everyone gets on their national high horse and starts going on about atrocities and inconsistencies and unfairness. Um, Reese Hodge, where are you on his suspension? Have you made of the what have you made of some of the coverage? I just sort of I have to say it turns me off. People will get really wound up on behalf of their wounded nation who are perfect and everyone else is obviously creeps. I where are you mate on all this stuff? I don't think it should have come to this. He should have been had ten minutes in the bin or perhaps been off the field in that game. Fiji may have won and no one's be talking about it ever again. You know, that should have happened on the day. The referee got it wrong then and there. So that's the biggest problem with me. I don't care about what happens after the match. Mm. It's gone and dusted this plan. The Fijians have lost their chance to knock over the wallabies due to a bullshit refereeing crew. Mm. So it needed to be Man, made Goodness gracious. Sorry. <laughs> Go on, mate. I'll cut you off in mid fly. You were saying bull, bull dust or something? Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the referee on the day. If he's that incompetent out of the tournament. It's Ben O'Keefe. Put your hand on New Zealand heart and praise them. That's what you're meant to do. That's how we operate in this country. Yeah, but also didn't give the penalty try. Well, could, I, could I say something? Well, I think you will whether of, you want where yeah. I let you or not. Go on, mate. Hodge, one of the things that the referee may have seen in that tackle is that Hodge actually went backwards. He's, he, and so he was, he didn't win the contact. Usually with a high shot, you win the contact and the other player is flawed to a certain extent and the, and the Fijian player was afterwards. But Hodge went backwards, so if you're viewing that in real time, it doesn't look like he's actually done... He looks like he's been on the worst end of the tackle. Now, that's a situation which I wanted to bring up now, is that the TMO should be referring that back to the referee and said something. But I... I and it showed up in the for me in the All Black game when uh, the, the, the referee referred to the TMO for when Richie Mwanga was caught under the post. We didn't see the TMO, we didn't hear the TMO, and we did not see any replays. Replays, And I think World Rugby or the host broadcaster has made a directive that we're not going to see the replays on things that are being checked by the TMO. And we only saw, we only heard the ref mic part of that conversation, which is unusual. We usually see both replays and the full conversation. And I wonder whether there is, has been a, some kind of directive because those TMO replays have been so controversial um, as uh, in test matches over the last well, right back to whenever, We're, since we started doing them. Did, did, or am I wrong? Have you guys seen TMO replays? I, I, I just was, I was yeah. fascinated that we didn't see any replays. Just while we were on the sort of the whole thing of nationalism and clickbait, uh, let's kind of carry on. Um, should the All Blacks be allowed to perform the haka? Is it, um, is it an anachronism? <laughs> is it a commercial entity that has no relevance to rugby? Where are we on that? Alice, do you want to go first? We complain about the All Blacks, but everyone else is all right. It seems to be, you know, we're not the only nation that performs before uh, before the game kicks off. I mean, it's it's part of the, like, on the one hand, World Rugby loves it, obviously, because it's part of the thing that makes rugby different as a saleable product that we have, you know, an extra element that comes in there. I always love seeing the other Pacific nations doing their challenge at the beginning of the game. Even better when you have New Zealand uh, playing one of those nations and you have them going at each other. Uh, it's just, like, isn't this a moot point? We've talked about this a hundred times, you know. Are we really still having this debate at this point? Well, I don't know if there's a debate. I think it's one of those things where some person overseas says something and you get really wounded. So, hey, can't say anything. Why? It's like this whole thing where someone says, 
Dan Carter's past it or Bowden Barrett's mm-hmm. overrated and they're from overseas and we all get well, the sniffles. Like, shouldn't we just be more mature about these things? Doesn't New Zealand just tend to have a Google search for New Zealand and any time our name That's pops right. up in anything we get excited <laughs> about it? That's right. Joe, you, you're our man on the ground. Are you feeling a very proud New Zealander? Do you feel we're under siege? How are we going? Oh, nah. I kind of get the point of the Irish writer. I mean, it, perhaps it does give them a little bit of advantage when you think of the physical hotness versus just having to stand there and stand still. But look, it's part of the fabric of New Zealand. It's part of our culture. It's part of the Pacific Islands culture. And it's, you know, it's essentially the face of rugby. You know, you come to Japan, everywhere you go, oh, they do the dance, they do the dance. I said, the haka, 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 do the dance. I went to the New Zealand defence black game not long ago in Kishiwa. My Japanese women come up and they're doing the dance today. They're doing the dance. So let's be honest, it's a huge marketing tool. It's part of our culture. They can just bloody lump it. Speaking of lump it, we've got to sit and wait a few more days till the Canada game. What are we thinking? Um, is it a 100-point job? New Zealand should put heaps on them, shouldn't they, Alice? I guess it's going to be interesting yeah. if they, they use this opportunity to try all combinations. I mean, that's probably all that you'll be <laughs> watching it for, setting things up for future matches. I, it's hard to get excited about after that last match in particular. Joe, are you expecting like a full sort of change first 15 for, for, for Wednesday? Largely. There'll probably be a couple of guys that have to back up, maybe Bowden Barrett is, um, is one. Uh, I just think that it's just going to be a terrible game to watch, isn't it? It's going to be a terrible, terrible game. Canada were absolutely useless against Italy, and Italy aren't. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting a good job at Spark with this kind of attitude. Yeah, I, I think the crowd will enjoy being in a week, so being in this sort of geothermal area. The Canadian fans, you know, I've already spoken to have absolutely no hope of their team doing anything. They're just here to see the All Blacks, basically. So, look, uh, yeah, it's not going to be a great game to watch. Joe, are they like having mock games at training and stuff? What are they doing to keep themselves sharp? That's exactly what they're doing, yeah. Steve Hansen's running them ragged this week. I've been to the trainings, and even just the first 15 minutes that we're allowed inside to have a look, they've been, um, yeah, getting sort of run around the field, dripping in sweat, drenching in sweat. There's been people just working harder than they've probably ever worked during a Super Rugby season in their lives. Yeah, it'll be some pretty brutal uh, in-house contests, I expect, during this, this next few days. Um, I was speaking to Matt Todd not long ago, and he sort of suggested that some of these in-house games are actually harder than three of the test matches they've got coming up. So that could, I guess, say, say a lot for you. Um, I don't want to spare too much of a thought for them, but how, how oppressive are the conditions? I mean, it sounds to me like sort of golf, barbecue and a couple of beers weather rather than rugby. Like, how hard is it to play footy, would you say? It's hot. It's muggy. It's, yeah, the, the atmosphere is thick. Um, it's sort of like running through a sauna at times, but, you know, at least that means that the grounds are pretty hard. It can be pretty fast. The ball is sticky. You've always got a constant layer of sweat all over your hands. But, you know, no excuses for not playing any kind of rugby. It should suit the All Blacks, you would think. But, yeah, they'll lose a lot of water during the game. There's no doubt about that. All right, everyone, just quickly, score for Canada v the All Blacks? <laughs> it'll, be over, it'll be over 100. Let's go 112, and they're going to get a penalty. 112 to 3. 75-15. Joe. Well, I thoroughly underestimated the Tonga game, so I have to I make amends to that. I'm 100. <laughs> 200. <laughs> That's Mark Ellison's six-try record under threat, yeah. 116-0, and let's hope that George Bridge will receive a race breaks Mark Ellison's record. Brilliant. Alice Soper, William Loney, Joe Porter, thanks for your time, everyone. The sole new owners of the Warriors are confident they can bring stability and success to New Zealand's lone NRL franchise. Just 16 months after it started, the joint ownership agreement between Auckland Business, Ortex Industries and the Carlaw Park Heritage Trust has come to an end. The financial arm of Auckland Rugby League, the Trust has relinquished its two-thirds share in the Warriors to Ortex, making them the outright owners. So what does it all mean for the prospects of a club plagued by on-field inconsistency and ownership instability? Well... I'll tell you what I think it means. Not much. 
players play for themselves and their families. On a good day, they might even play for their teammates too. Coaches come and go, as do owners, but at least players tend to know the blokes with the whistle and clipboard. At a good club, owners are peripheral. They pay the bills, attend NRL meetings where required, and have no media profile. They're not relevant to the football, and I certainly don't want to hear from them. Stability off the park is handy, but that's about the most important thing the owner or owners can provide. The Warriors were weak in 2019. Physically and mentally, they were inferior to most teams they came across. That's entirely on the players and those in the football department, rather than any of the suits clinking glasses in the chairman's lounge. If head coach Stephen Kearney can coach a creditable campaign out of the players next year, then he's entitled to continue on. If not, then Ortex will need to act. In the meantime, the less said by everyone at the Warriors, the better. Anyway, here's the official line. Clay Wilson talked to new owner and Ortex managing director Rob Crute. From a commercial point of view, um, it needs money and it needs investment and, and um Ultimately, the decision for the two of us uh, was that that shouldn't come at the expense of the Auckland clubs as owners. So um, Ortex, as a, as a uh, successful private business, has got the opportunity and the willingness and the passion to put the money in and, and do what needs to be done. So what direction ultimately do you see this club going? And there's been so much going on with the club and the strives for success. And how much of a change do you see it taking under your sole ownership? Um, ultimately, they have to be changed. Um, otherwise, we're, we're not going to be better than we have been in the past. So um, what those changes look like, um, uh, that needs to be fleshed out. Um, but, um, you know, the, the club is very clear right from the joint venture ownership of, of what the expectations have been. So, um, you know, we expect consistency. We expect the team to be performing at the top of the table. Um, and uh, and we expect them to um, carry the pride of the nation. So. Um, those things won't change under our ownership. The resourcing to get there and, and the reviews and all the rest of it, and, you know, that's the things that we need to get into uh, over the next few weeks. The ownership of the club obviously hasn't been that stable for the past two or three seasons. What assurances or what would you say to the fans in terms of that stability now that you guys have sole ownership of the club? Yeah, um, uh, Ortex and, and especially Mark Robinson and, and his father David before him, um, have uh, rugby league in their blood. Um, Ortex has been a, a passionate supporter of rugby league in New Zealand for over 40 years. Um, so um, the, the passion that our fans have um, runs through our veins. So um, the only thing that I can say to our fans is, um, uh, you know, hang with us. We're one of you. We believe in the club and we believe that we've got an opportunity to, uh, to make you all proud. Um, I'd love to say we could snap our fingers and, and turn it around tomorrow, but the competition just doesn't allow that. Um, but we uh, we absolutely believe that the Warriors uh, uh, can fulfil the uh, the destiny that we all want. The Carlo Heritage Trust, one of their reasons for getting involved was that community-level grassroots game. But yep. you guys still see that as a focus of your direction as well? Absolutely, yeah. That was that was fundamental in, in um, the two parties coming together originally. And I know it's been reported that uh, the difference has been that Ortex wants different things, and and Carlo Trust and Auckland Rugby League wanted to focus on grassroots. Um, we were both connected in that vision, and that doesn't change for Ortex now. If we don't have a strong grassroots game, we don't have a good professional game. We can't we can't create a New Zealand club 
full of Australians. We're going to have some Kiwis there. Recalled White Ferns cricketer Rachel Priest concedes she thought her international career had come to an end. The 34-year-old Priest fell out of favour with former White Ferns coach Hayley Tiffin. After a 10-year career and having played 86 one-day internationals, she was dropped by Tiffin in 2017, but two years later she's been recalled to the squad under new coach Bob Carter and received one of the inaugural New Zealand cricket player contracts. Fitness issues were often cited as Priest's downfall and the Wellington Blaze player concedes the last couple of years have been a roller coaster. But she told sports editor Stephen Hewson that having the opportunity to play in domestic competitions in Australia and England kept her passion for the game alive. You know, in the last couple of years I had gone through moments of hoping it would happen and moments of thinking it definitely wasn't going to happen. Um, but, look, I'm just really, really pleased and, um, you know, privileged that I get in on it. I mean, um, get the opportunity to... You know, have another crack at it. Change of coaching has helped that? I guess so. I mean, I guess I'll never know. Like, things could have changed. I mean, I've been, you know, playing overseas and things and, and scoring some runs. So I guess you don't know. But, um, yeah, it seems that way. So what kept you going? Because presumably, at what, you're 34? Uh, at, I mean, at 32, you might have been thinking, well, should I should I move on? Um, yeah, I definitely was. So the last tournament I played was the World Cup in England in 2017, and I definitely had some thoughts like that, but I was already signed up to play one of the T20 comps over there, and I think that probably kept me going in a way. Um, and it was a really successful season for me. So, look, I still have, you know, always had the passion to keep playing cricket and, and was wanting to, you know, hopefully make it back into this team. But, yeah, I think you're a long time retired, you know, so I wanted to keep trying to play for as long as possible. How difficult was it watching on, I suppose, given the struggles that the side was going through as well? Yeah, look, I've got a lot of really close friends in this team and, and you don't like to see them struggling or, or having a hard time. But, yeah, it was difficult. Obviously, in the early days, it was difficult to watch and, and you know, you really wanted to be there. But sort of as time went on, I, I came to terms with it and, and just, you know, enjoyed watching the girls play. You certainly kept busy, didn't you? Because you, you've been, uh, well, obviously playing in Australia and in England. So um, there was certainly some cricket to take your mind off, off that aspect of things, I suppose, but not playing for the White Ferns. Yeah, absolutely. I've had a really busy couple of years, actually. I've, um, as you say, I've been playing in a big fashion Aussie and, and uh, in the KSL in England and, and doing a bit of county cricket in between in our winters. So I've actually probably been busier um, in some respects than, than some of the girls. But, it's yeah, it's kept me going and it's been really, really good. A lot of talk around fitness is an issue you may not have stayed or stayed in. What, what, what's your response to, to that? Um, look, there was, I was given a lot of reasons, you know, back when I was it dropped at the time and, you know, some were clearer than others. But look, I think for me, what I wanted to do was just go and go away and let my cricket do the talking in a way and, you know, perform in those competitions against some of the best players in the world. And, and I've been able to do that um, quite consistently over the last couple of years. And, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why I've been, um, you know, given another chance. And there's always, you know, parts of my game that I need to work on. And, and hopefully now that I'm back in the fold, I'll, I'll be able to work on those with, with a lot of help. Coming back in, has it felt like a two-year absence or does it just feel like yesterday? Um, it's funny, really, because before I got here, I was feeling a bit apprehensive about it. But as soon as I got here and got back in with the group, it was almost like I hadn't been away at all. And, and um, you know, I was really excited to see all the girls as they were um, excited to see me as well. So it was it was a bit of a, a homecoming, you know, back, back with the family in a way. So it was actually really nice. That's Rachel Priest talking to sports editor Stephen Houston. 
New Zealand road cyclist Patrick Bevan has set his sights on standing on the top tier of the podium at next year's Tokyo Olympics after a frustrating and testing 2019. Bevan has spoken to RNZ sports reporter Brenton Van Nisseroy after he finished agonisingly close to winning a medal in the men's individual time trial at the World Road Cycling Championships in Yorkshire. But he isn't dwelling on what could have been despite a season of near misses. Given where I was and then coming back from the injury, coming back from the ribs, it was still a... I've still come a long way since uh, picking myself up, up off the deck in, in July and uh, and working my way towards this. So, look, it was, you kind of, cycling's a funny one. It's, it's not clear cut. There's, there's many ways to get from, from A to B. And, and races like today, they're, they're a special event. We only do one, one a year and two in an Olympic year. So it's kind of its own little niche. And to be consistently good over the last two worlds um, is, is a really positive sign. And, and looking at Tokyo next year, the Tokyo course sits somewhere between uh, Innsbruck and, and Yorkshire. So, yeah, you kind of take take the fact that I've uh, improved and uh, go back to the drawing board and stay hungry for that for that gap because you you never stop aiming for the top. Because even though the the gap looks big over over an event that's full gas over an hour and seven minutes, um, the the percentages are actually actually fairly small. You can break it down and. And look at the look at the bits and pieces. There's still time to be made up. I know I've still got uh, time to be made up with uh, with the details. So we use the result today as, as kind of a, a springboard into into the off season to kind of uh, reassess and, and readjust and, and find some more time out on the course. How much does this motivate you for Tokyo in ten months' time? Look, it, it's a, it was a hard one. Like last year's result came out of came out of nowhere. So to turn around and, and improve again this year, it was it's good. It's really for me, it's motivating because it was an improvement, and I really have only been focusing on this over the last couple of seasons. So it's definitely, as long as you're making steps in the right direction, it's always uh, it's always a good feeling. So you kind of got to ride that wave and, and continue that progression and and keep working. Are you still going to be lining up in the road race? Yes. Um, look, it's a funny one. The last two months have all been about today so there's a certain amount of weight being lifted but you're excited about lining up again in the road race the road, road race is a different animal but I go in knowing the form is good um, I may struggle with the distance but look came out of half of welter you kind of just got to roll with it it's going to be an extremely tough day and it's going to be a very hard one to read so uh, look it's, for me it's a funny one it's a lot of a lot of pressure comes off after today, but it doesn't mean I'm I'm no less committed or motivated to Sunday. And then off season is that, is that the plan? Yeah, look, it's been it's been a tough year. I've, I've scraped myself up off the tarmac too many times this year, so uh, <laughs> to to be here and and, and kind of finish with this result is really good to uh, really good for the morale. To know, look, look, it, it hasn't been great. I've had a couple of big offs. Um, that's part of cycling and part of sport, but. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to some downtime. It's, it's, been a, it's been a long year on the pedal. Cyclist Patrick Bevan talking to Brenton Van Nisseroy. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Hamish Spidwell. Bye for now.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.